I uh, I got a model uh, 1957 Chevy Corvette uh, that I was I was going to build from Hobby Lobby, and I would have been seven or eight years old probably. Uh, and I remember thinking like, this is my favorite car, and I'm going to make it perfect, and it's going to be the most amazing thing, and I'll be so proud of it. And uh, the glue, like more or less, dissolves the little plastic parts. If you're not mm-hmm. careful, that's how it really melds together. So by the time I was finished, the the windshield was all foggy, uh, and and it kind of looked more like a blob. The it really didn't resemble a car. The wheels didn't turn. I did everything wrong, and so I did a crap job of painting it. And I never ever painted or did any kind of models ever again. It was so traumatic. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that plastic glue. I have that exact plastic glue right here. Exactly. It, it yeah. Bonds by melting things. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I use it to, um, whenever you glue models together, there's a lot of like pieces that don't fit flush together. There's like a seam line and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I use that to melt those edges to mm-hmm. thin it out. Yeah. Years of experience. Smooth it out. Yeah. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. The system with enamel takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. So let's dive. Let's dive into uh, Cincinnati Comic Expo. I have been pitching this episode before I even got you guys to agree to do it because I knew eventually we would get around to it and it would work. Um, Cincinnati Comic Expo for me was a really transformational moment, uh, so much so that I'm already signed up to go to a book fair in Iowa, not this coming weekend, but the following weekend. Um, I've ordered supplies, so I'm going to have banners and, you know, just really like I stole everything I saw you guys doing and I'm going Look to implement it. I know. Jody, it's so exactly. exciting. I know. It's really that awesome. That's why that's, that's why we wanted you to come. So you could steal yeah. everything from us and sell yeah. your books like crack Okay, please. Exactly. It's it's crazy. And uh, I've, I've told people a little bit about the stories of how, how assertive you were and outgoing you were about selling your books. And so what I want to do is spend the next little while, I will talk as little as possible and allow the two of you to talk about the process. What I would love to frame this conversation with is tell me how horrible it was when you started so that people who maybe are going to dive in for the first time have something to to understand it didn't start out uh, like it like it is now <laughs> our first convention was great it was a really small convention we had two books and lydia was literally blocking people out of buying our books <laughs> could you could you really quick david remind me which one are you talking about our first event <laughs> or our first convention our first convention it was uh like magic with an imaginarium the first convention or um, no, it well, was okay. Cause that wasn't a convention. That was a book selling event in LaGrange. Oh, I forgot. No, a, yeah. I forgot I forgot about that that. No, it wasn't LaGrange. It was a bit north of that. So our very, our very first book selling event was a little, it's something that a bookstore had organized and there was maybe, I don't know, 50 authors wow. um, in like a, in like a gymnasium setup. And it was, it was like a local book event. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is our very first time selling books. And so I had dressed up. I'm like, you know what? I didn't. I don't want to do like a fantasy dress because then that would just give the wrong signals for like because I didn't do fantasy genres, urban fantasy. So I dressed up in something that looked almost a little like Scottish. I had like a 
cute skirt and it had like a tartan on it and I had like a roughly uh, blouse and something. I'm kind of like, oh, look a little bit like Lily Singer. And people were asking me if I was an elf and if I wrote like Highland Romance. And I'm like, no, that's not, no, I got this totally wrong. And I mean, honestly, our first book selling event, I'm super outgoing. So I don't really struggle with that part of selling from the beginning because I've always been outgoing. And also I sold art before this. So I had already practiced like pitching people and pulling them out of the crowd. I also hawked at Ren Fairs for years. So for me personally, the 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 actual drawing people in and making the sale was very familiar to me already. But in terms of selling books and finding my audience and stuff, like my covers were not to market. They looked really, they weren't bad. It was beautiful artwork. I just I did not understand my target audience. Yeah. And so like looking back, I kind of cringe like, I'm so cute. <laughs> David, what do you think? What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you, it's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when the time you spend doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make Ammo work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah-rah shish boss tries to get you emotionally excited only to offer unclear methods, Ammo shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step through a unique, highly tested and targeted formula. The founder, Steve Piper, is a data-loving, formula-driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself, where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following and millions of copies sold. With Ammo, you know who's reading your books, how to contact them, and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery of not knowing who's reading your books and losing 50 to 70% of your hard-earned money, that you're making through sales. Ammo solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readership. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. Well, talking about pitching to all of the people that came by, we'd absolutely pitch to the four people that showed up. (laughs) No, uh, we sold 12 books and most of the other people at the event sold none. So we did pretty good, like percentage wise. (laughs) We sold most of those books to other, other uh, authors that were there. Um, We we met a guy named Tony Acre that uh, does Hydro Publications, Hydro Press, Hydro Publications. I think it's Hydro Press. Hydro Press. Yes. Hydro Press. Okay. Um, we met Tony there. That was the first time that we met him. And we've seen him at tons of conventions. And we we walked in and he had this like very professional looking setup. He had these like wooden bookshelves that are on these tables, had a ton of books. And like my goal is to outsell him. That uh-huh. was that was my goal. And we did not uh that time because he had the spot right at the door and had yeah. a bajillion books in the perfect spot. He had the best setup. Well, he was the organizer, um, <clears throat> or he was friends with the organizer. So I think he got that spot as, I think he helped organize it too. So yeah. it wasn't like, you know, he, it was a good reason why he had it. 
my my dreams were lofty at the time and uh, <laughs> we um we don't really talk numbers anymore but he he is a uh a, a guy who lives really close to us now and he actually writes so we made a really good friend at that event uh, he was helped us out a whole lot so even though the event was kind of terrible the uh, the friendship we made and the connections we made were, were really good another thing that, to oh go ahead david i do know that i i read the back covers of pretty much every book there and most of the books there were so cringy that like <laughs> like this the covers i mean ours were too but the covers were bad the um, one person didn't have his name on his book oh jeez um, there was there was a really convoluted wizard book that i i picked up that like main characters are all wizards and the entire story was told on the back cover. Like I didn't have to read the book because <laughs> it was written in yeah. really small font and just the whole story was summarized on the back, yep. including the ending. Um, two uh, two things that come oh I'm sorry, David, were you done? Uh, no, uh, two, but... <laughs> two things that came to mind uh that we learned from right from the beginning that we definitely could have done better was uh as David mentioned, I talked people out of buying my book. Um, and that was something that I do still occasionally do, but I'm a big talker. And so I did not know at the beginning when to stop talking, mm. um, you know, going into too much detail or too much explanation. I think part of it was nervousness on my part, like wanting to fill the silence yeah. and not knowing, not having that sense of when to step back and give the person room to make a decision because it's scary to be like, all right, now. What's your decision? You know, it's very scary to do that because you're afraid that they're going to say no because it's hard to get rejection. Um, but, you know, through many years of selling books and each interaction, you kind of just get a feel for the flow of it. And when is that right moment to step back? Um, enthusiasm also kind of bit me in the butt. Like I'm very enthusiastic. So I would I would just go overboard. Um, so that's a big thing is knowing your pitch very clearly mm. and knowing how to make that pitch and then give them space in a, in a yeah. natural, non-awkward way, which we tried to help show you through example in Cincinnati. Yeah. So hopefully you were able to see that. Um, and so uh, so that was one thing. And then another thing was David mentioned, pitching every single pe person that walks past the table. Now to yeah. be fair at a small event, when there's 20 people total who come, you know, I could see pitching every single person, but definitely at any kind of Comic-Con where there's, you know, even a couple thousand people coming through or even like 20,000, 30,000, like a really big event, it is a waste of time to pitch every person. That's not what you're trying to do. You're looking for your target audience. You're looking yeah. for, and as we found at the convention that you witnessed, if you're right next to other people, you have to be very careful <laughs> to only pitch people who are looking at or or engaged in in some way as they pass by with your booth um, so yeah. that you don't cause tension with your booth mates and just basically make people hate you. Because uh, we don't yeah. want to do that because we want to do these events again and again every year and be welcome back. So one question I do have for you that we didn't even talk about uh, in Cincinnati is had you had that happen before? I think I did mention to to listeners that we had uh, one person who got upset at us. Um, is that is that happened to you before? David, you talk about this. It is not common at all yeah. for something like that to happen. Like most of the time, uh, everyone's really friendly and yeah. everyone's doing the same thing. And we're all working together to try to get people to buy books. We're yeah. pointing. If somebody's like, oh, I only read horror. But, well, that guy right there sells horror. Why don't you go talk to him? Like, it, it, we generally work together. So having somebody 
uh, blow up on us was is not common at all. I've only yeah. seen it, I think, two or three times in my entire career of doing this. We've been doing this for years and years now. Um, there was one person who uh, overstepped on us that I remember, where she was coming over to our booth, like literally coming over to our booth Goodness. and going and <laughs> saying, one. "Why are you buying from this person whenever you could buy my book?" Are you serious? Um, yes. Yeah, she, okay. she, to be to be fair, I think she was a little bit on the spectrum. Um, she oh, okay. she was very she was her her her. I think her mom was there with her, and she was an adult person. I, I think she was sure. a, adult in age. Um, but she had a, a fantasy princess story, and she was dressed up as a princess, and she interacted in a very um, exuberant and more childlike way. Um, and so I just the impression I got was yeah. that, um, especially with the way her mom like was helping her out, that it, it's quite possible she was maybe on the spectrum or, uh, you know, something like that. And so yeah. for me at the time, like it was a little bit annoying, but it wasn't a big deal sure. for me because I, I felt like, you know, yeah. it, it's just something you learn. Um, I, mm. I will say that we specifically prefer Comic-Cons where we are next to artists or creators yeah i do not like being next to authors yeah. at author events where it's just a bunch of authors it is much more awkward because when you're next to people with different sorts of things it's much more clear when someone when your item has caught someone's interest and so mm -hmm. it's much easier to um pinpoint those people and not kind of poach from others whereas if it's just one big long line of authors then it's way harder to differentiate and be like, oh yeah, that person, like I can clearly tell my table has caught their interest and I'm going to pitch to them. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's a bit more tense um, for, for me, uh, again, because I'm a very aggressive pitcher. And so I'm very um, aware of wanting to make sure I don't encroach on other people's prospects. Um, but I think experience, like David mentioned, um, I think the reason we haven't really had as much trouble is because I do have a lot of experience hawking. And so I, I was aware of this beforehand. I could imagine that if I had had no clue, and I did it, it, to some extent have no clue, it's, or or I just forgot because I was so enthusiastic at the beginning. Um, I did have one con. This is a small con, maybe I don't know, six hundred attendees, where the organizers at one point came around and and kind of, you know, when someone's like not real, not criticizing you, but the way they say it, you're and you're like, yeah, okay, and they're like you're you're a lot you're a lot i'm like yeah because <laughs> it's small con and so i you know i have a voice that projects and that and they were just like you're a lot aren't you i'm like yeah yeah i'm a lot <laughs> so they, they there was no criticism explicit there but i could tell they were you know i was definitely the most aggressive picture at that yeah. at that convention but i mean you know when you're at a big con and it's crowded and it's noisy, like you've got to be aggressive. And so it's, you yeah. maybe have to tone it down a little bit when you're doing smaller events. So I think a big thing is awareness. Just be aware going in, understand like the, the courtesy that you want to extend to other people on either side. A big thing is being, uh, uh, meeting the other people. I'd never introduced myself to that guy at that table next to us. We didn't yeah. build any rapport before the event started. And part of it was because it seemed like he was very introverted and was not, like really, cause I did introduce him to the person on the other side, that artist lady right around the corner. Do you remember her? And yeah. we did like, we like I watched her booth and they watched, yeah, know, that's what I was going like, to say. We they had actually had there. you watch the So booth. we hadn't yep. built any rapport with this gentleman, um, partially maybe because of his personality, but also I didn't make an effort to, to reach out. And mm -hmm. so it's important when you set up 
to build rapport with your booth mates, to just introduce yourself, get to know their stuff a little bit, you know, especially if it's a book event, like ask, Hey, what are your books about? So if someone tells me that they don't read my genre, I can point them to you or like, Hey, can I have some of your bookmarks, you know, or maybe even if you find someone at the book fair, who's a similar genre, but they're across the hall, maybe ask them, introduce yourself, say, Hey, can I have some of your bookmarks? I'll put them at my table. And if I sell some books to a fantasy fan, I'll say, Hey, if you like fantasy, go over to that table. And so it's that purposeful, deliberate um, building of relationships and connections with people that help reduce any kind of misunderstandings happening. Because Mm -hmm. if someone has already kind of been friendly with you and you kind of step on a few toes, obviously they're, they're much less likely to be upset or they might be more, more likely to just say quietly, Hey, by the way, like, I feel like you maybe stole it. So for me, they were looking at my table and you'd be like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, and you can yeah. talk it out, Yeah, which is kind of what I did with that gentleman. And yeah. he definitely mellowed after, you know, we chatted a little bit, but he um, I just, he refused yeah. to speak to us, but he did, he did mellow. He didn't, he, you could see yeah, like he did. there was he still did. some anger there um, for, for, for the remaining days, but um, I, it was, I thought that interaction was super weird because I know that guy. Like we, we've done conventions. Oh, you have. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, David, we, apparently I've never talked to him before, but I mean, I, we have seen him there at pretty much every Cincinnati comic-con for okay. six, seven years. So we're familiar with his comic books and stuff. Cause we see him every year, but I don't, gotcha. I don't, I hadn't met him, but I guess David had. Yeah. yeah, like I, I talk to him every year. We talk about how how well the convention goes, and yeah. he got stuffed animals at one point, and I was like, oh man, that's a great idea. I might want to get yeah. some stuffed animals. And we talked about like how he got his stuffed animals and, and yeah. stuff. So, uh, but not all interactions are are like that. Like that's the extreme. Um, yeah, most. So a good a good example of of our general interaction is when we met a guy named David Joel Stevens, who is a, a great author. Um, we had a table right next to him and we, we set up and found out that he was setting up a, it was our first time meeting him. He was setting up a, uh, a book thing and we were also setting up our books. And then I'm like, man, you're going to get tired of our pitch because you're going <laughs> to have it memorized by the end. And he's like, I, you will have my pitch memorized too. Um, and we both worked with each other. Like I helped mm-hmm. him with his pitch. He helped us with our table stuff at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I got one of his books right oh, here. Nice. He is um, he's a fantastic author. Yeah. And uh, we, people would come down the aisle on his side, he would pitch to them and then send them to us. And we would do the same. They, we would come down, people come down our side of the aisle. We would yeah. pitch them and then send them over to him. And we pitched everybody. Um, we worked together and we, we, did really well at that convention. I was probably, you told me that was one of his best conventions he ever did because we nice. were working together. And we see each other at conventions on a regular basis now. Um, and we've developed a, a friendship that where we work together at conventions instead of yeah. being antagonistic. It helps. I mean, it's, we talked about it in Cincinnati uh, at different points, but the, the notion that there's an abundance uh, of customers for all of us is true. Uh, people who go to a Comic Con are not only going to buy one thing. People who go to a Comic Con are not going to only buy one person's books. A lot of people will buy multiple people's books and multiple different things. I mean, there is a finite amount of money that's going to walk through the doors, but a lot of people are willing to put a little debt on their credit card to get something that you convince them they need to have. I'm not advocating for debt. I'm just saying there's this this one attitude. Well, and people <laughs> also pick up bookmarks and they and they yeah. pay attention to book recommendations. So, I mean, I love getting personal recommendations of good books. And so if I buy a good book from someone at a con, they're like, hey, 
I know this other author over here, uh, you know, you'll probably really like their books too. I would totally go up and pick up their bookmark and look them up and maybe just download uh, a um, uh, on Kindle. I don't read books on my Kindle. I don't really buy through mm-hmm. Kindle, but I um, use the Kindle preview. Like you're on Amazon, you look up a book, you can say send right. preview to Kindle. And yeah. so I'll do that all the time to check out books. Um, and so if I read the preview and I read it all the way through and I want to keep going, then I know I want to buy the book. Yeah. And so I'll add a preview. I've got dozens and maybe hundreds of previews on my Kindle, like waiting mm-hmm. to be checked out. Um, and so that's how I kind of like set up my almost my to be read pile. And so I'll just add stuff to my Kindle uh, uh, samples all the time, just based on book recommendations. And yeah. so that's a great way to still sell a book at some other time. Um, whether they they buy it there or not. So yeah, one thing I want to talk about, um, and then I, I actually want to get into some of the nitty gritty about this because you have so much experience doing so many different places. Um, but we had a former book babe, and for listeners, book babes are people who who volunteer to work with David and Lydia in exchange for learning the process. So I was a book babe. Even oh yeah. Though, oh, oh bi- you know, booth. Yeah. Mean booth babe. Booth babe. Thank you, booth, booth babe. babe. Yeah. So um, so but, and and just to clarify, like that yes. is a term that is very common at conventions. Oh, That's okay. not just us. So like. <laughs> well, it's not like a term we came up with. I just, it, I, I got booth babe from working at cons. And so gotcha. your booth, the idea of a booth babe at Comic Cons is, you know, the hot, good looking girl right. at the booth. Yeah. And that so makes this the little tongue in cheek. Yeah. yeah. So tongue in cheek. So I call everybody who works at my booth booth babes. I don't care, yeah. you know, how tall or right. your sex or your gender or skinny or how like, bald. Like, I don't care. Yep. You're all booth babes. That's right. So, I, um, I was so, the original booth babe. Booth babe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. David was the original booth babe. Yeah. <laughs> you are a babe. David is, is very good looking. He's very good looking. Um, so there was there was a former booth babe uh, who was had his own booth set up, and I'm curious why you feel like uh, there was less success there because I think maybe there's some observed lessons uh, for people who are going to do this. What do you think hindered his success? Was it the number of books he had, or um, did you observe anything that possibly uh, was a pitfall? There was an issue with the flow of traffic. Yeah, um, okay. at the convention, um, the the way that the convention was set up, there were two aisles. Yeah, he had basically the center aisle, and then there were aisles on the outside. Uh, yeah. people people were not flowing that way because of a giant yeah. booth that was at the end of that aisle. Um, gotcha. He it, it also was one of his first events, and he's done by himself, so he's not yeah. um, not as experienced as, as we are. Um, yeah, he's he is perfectly capable, and it's going to make sure. it, it. He's going to make it eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there were there were a few issues. Um, some of them he could have helped, and some of them he had no hand in. Yeah, mm-hmm. another thing outside of his control was his genre, which was middle grade. Middle grade yeah. is a hard sell. It is, is it? always a hard sell. Yes, okay. at conventions, there are some children there. So I mean, that's that's a, a an immediate tie in of you know you see someone walking past with that age kids and you pitch them. Um, however, in general, I have found that. Um, the vast majority of my readers and the vast majority of my sales are older people. So I'm saying like yeah. 40, 45, 50 plus. Yep. Yep. Um, they are the big readers. And I think it's a combination of they have more disposable income and mm-hmm. they have more disposable time, um, yeah. which a lot of, you know, younger people, maybe not middle grade, but I mean, you know, I my target audience is kind of like 25 and up, um, you know, I do, I do definitely have some YA readers, but I do not look for or specifically pitch to YA readers like at okay. all because 
because then you got to pitch to their parents. And then the YA readers, like yeah. teenagers are a hard sell, man. Like yeah. teens are just so jaded. And so like, uh, you know, so yeah. it's, it, you'll, you'll come across a couple kids every now and then that are just like super big readers and they know exactly what kind of book they want, but that's kind of rare yeah. um, for kids to know what they like necessarily. Yeah. And so there's just a lot fewer of them uh, than the adults. And so it's just, it's hard selling middle grade. I, I don't envy, uh, I don't envy Luke. And, uh, you know, I think, I think they definitely did make some sales. Uh, I mean, I got a copy of their book, um, for, for my five-year-old and he's enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's it. The the genre is a hard sell. The traffic flow was difficult. Um, I think, I think what David said, just experience, because I mean, our very first year at, uh, um, you know, Cincinnati was not amazing. Like it was good. We made a profit, but it wasn't amazing. Another thing to remember is that the more books you have, I mean, up to a point, the more books you have, the more books you sell, it gets to a point where you can only sell so many books, which is, which is why we have two tables and four workers for anybody who doesn't know, um, at any con, at least that's of any size, we always buy two booths, two, two books or an artist alley or two tables, sorry, right next to each other. Um, and then we get, get two free badges per table. And so there's us two. And then we um, invite friends, but we try to find fellow authors who want to learn to come be our our booth babes. And that's because the more people you have pitching and available, the more books you can sell per hour. And the more space you have, the more like real estate you have, the bigger of a space and the longer time you get to pitch people as they walk past, the more people you can see. And so you know, Luke only had the one table and it was just him Mm -hmm. and his wife. And so, you know, like they literally can't sell as much as I, for instance, would sell at a, at a con. And so there's also expectations, you Mm -hmm. know, working at my booth uh, might set like expectations really high uh, because we've been doing this a long time. We have a ton of books and we have much larger real estate than someone who might just have one table who's just starting out. So I think, I think, you know, having, uh, realistic expectations is always a good thing, um, especially yeah. depending on your genre. Because I think stuff like horror, um, YA, and middle grade, um, and um, I'm trying to think of what else, maybe like chick lit or like those are genres that are just not going to be as big sellers. Science fiction, fantasy, okay. romance, and then mystery thrillers are the real big sellers um, at, at, in most places. Those are just the bigger yeah. genres. So. Yeah, in the end, uh, both uh, the two people that were previous um, helpers, uh, Wayne and Luke, both had pretty good conventions comparatively. Like Luke well, Cassandra, C- Cassandra was the author. Wayne and Cassandra yeah. are a husband-wife pair, and then Luke and, and his wife, I think Jennifer, um, are a husband-wife pair. Luke is the author. Oh, sorry, Cass- author. oh wait, Wayne. Wayne. Oh, that Wayne, because yeah, Cassandra's yeah. husband is also Wayne. Because we've also had Wayne, um, who writes the Heroes of Time, um, uh, uh Murdoch. I don't remember the title of his first book. I'm sorry, Wayne. Um, yeah, so we've had two Waynes that we've that we've worked with because mm-hmm. Cassandra and Wayne helped us. Yeah, there we go. Yes, that that Murdoch's choice. choice. That's what yeah. it is, not mystery. Sorry. And that's actually the Murdoch's one that choice. I was I was curious about because he was right behind us, and so I was curious why why he yep. had uh, the kind of the, the challenge that he did. Was he he's yeah. also mid grade too though, or somewhere in there yep. as well, right? Okay. Um, they're kind of like <laughs> us. It's like clean adult, so clean okay. adult. That is appropriate and good for YA, but it's not specifically pitched as a YA. Gotcha. Yeah, um, his his mostly was traffic. Was traffic. Okay. Yeah, our, I, uh, I. Yeah, go ahead. 
our rows would be would be kind of packed, and we would look over. I'd look over at his row, and it would be dead. There's nobody there. Um, yeah. yeah, the two, was, the two. I'm sorry. It, it was just it was just because of of where the attractions were. Yeah, um, and there's no way you can you can know that before whenever you're picking your booths. Um, but it depends. It depends but, on the con. Jody, you remember looking back? He was kind of in the middle of the row yep. compared to us, whereas we had a table. Our our one of our tables right on was the on the end of a row. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so some cons allow you to choose your booth. You okay. get a little map and like you pick it. For instance, Lexington Comic uh, and Toy Expo in March, which is our other really big con, um, lets you choose your booth. And so you got to be on it, know exactly when that is going to release and then immediately go in and pick that booth to get yes. a good spot. And you can get end corner spots yeah. um, for the same price. They don't charge different for that. Um, or some cons like Cincinnati, you just have no, you have no control over it and they just okay. put you wherever they're going to put you. So this year we lucked out because the year before that we were in the middle of an aisle and it, and it wasn't mm -hmm. as good. Um, but we really lucked out and we had a booth on the end. And so it, it also is just the luck of the draw. And that, um, you know, can be disappointing sometimes, but the idea is, you know, your entire fortune isn't riding on one particular event. It's, it's yeah. the cumulative build. It's a marathon, not a sprint kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I would say Wayne would probably say, that you know they did well enough to want to come back next year um mm -hmm. and you know they'll probably be doing stuff that that makes it better i also i my personal opinion i mean i'm not sure how useful this is because i can only talk from my perspective as a reader and what attracts me as a reader um one of the things about my books is that they have very bright covers and yeah. um very bright colors and you have to be a little bit careful with that because bright colors in a certain context really signal middle grade, which is mm -hmm. the problem I had with my first edition book covers was that they looked too middle grade. Um, they yeah. looked like way more kitty than they were meant to be. And so I love my designer who is amazing and awesome, Molly Phipps, who does my book covers. Um, she managed to find a, like a, a balance between really bright colors and also a style that looked that that spoke to my target audience. Um, and so I constantly hear from people who come over my table, like, I love your covers, like they're so bright yeah. and they just caught my eye. And I think both Luke and Wayne have a bit darker colors. I think Luke's are a bit better. They have some mm -hmm. really bright spots of color. And obviously Wayne does have some, some color in his covers. Like he's yeah. got that purple and they're very attractive color covers. Um, but as a whole, when I look at his booth, the co colors don't pop out. It's yeah. a dark, very dark background and it's a darker mood. And that doesn't mean his covers are bad or wrong or whatever, um, because maybe that's like really the mood of his series. And I have humorous fantasy, which has a more upbeat, um, you know, uh, uh, like it feels more upbeat. Um, and so the brighter colors are appropriate for my books and for my target audience. Mm -hmm. Um and so, you know, this is not casting any shade on, on Wayne's covers. It's just something that I noticed that for yeah. me, I don't look at the booth and, and I don't feel as excited as I would at my booth. But then, of course, it's my genre. It's my it's what yeah. I like to read. So that might be tinting my opinion a little bit. But it and I don't and I if Wayne was sitting beside me, I don't know what I'd tell him because this sure. is not necessarily you need to change your covers because maybe his covers work great for him. Um, but one thing that he did do, if you notice his booth, he had bright like lights, little like almost yeah. like Las Vegas style signs with yes. bright lights and like yep. flashing stuff. And mm -hmm. and I I'm curious what he would say, whether or not he think thinks that helped. Um, and I think yeah. his Penny Pangolin I've... books helps too because they're brighter colors and they and they really draw the reader in, especially if people have younger kids. Yeah, um, I've talked to him about those LED lights, and apparently they are they like they work wonders for him. 
Uh, they're yeah. really good for him, uh, for his information, but for what he told me. So it's, I'll fill the empty space by saying one of the things that I really liked, one of the things that I've been encouraging some of the people in my circle who are, who are going to be getting into doing uh, book fairs and cons with me is keeping it a little bit simpler than maybe you're inclined to do. I liked that uh, you had your banners, your banners look nice. You had good tablecloths. I mean, you had good stuff, but I would not say that you went above and beyond to have a whole bunch of freebie giveaways, swag. There was no games. There were no like attractions to pull people over. You had books. You're there to sell books. You sold books. Um, people could buy tote bags. They could buy coffee mugs, but you didn't even make any of that central. And I really liked that. Yeah. I think that it, I think it contributed to your success from what I can tell. And some Sometimes I'll talk with uh, some of my friends and they want to have um, like giveaways and games and special things to sign up. And I'm like, keep it simple. That seems to be the case. I Am I off base there? On that. Nope. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, we used to give out chocolate at our table and I don't do that anymore. Um, yeah. A couple of things to keep in mind. Um, chocolate can be very, very useful um, at very small events where there's very few people. And if you only have a couple books. So it depends mm. on how many books you have. If you have one book, I think that having chocolate, a giveaway or a game potentially could be very useful if it yeah. ties into your book and or it's something that um, you know appeals to your audience. The problem with games is it could just be a time waster. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if this is a tiny con where you see like one or two people an hour, then obviously you have a lot of time to waste. So yeah. uh, then it might work. Um, but at a con like Cincinnati Comic Con that's busy, you're just wasting time because you could make yeah. that sale and get that per. It's just it's just wasting time. Um, so uh, we even so we don't do chocolate anymore. Um, again, it, it, we used to use it as a pitch to like draw people in, sure. like, hey, you want a piece of chocolate? And then when they came to get a piece of candy, we'd be like, you know, hey, you want to hear about a book? But yeah. I found as time went on and as I got more books, I didn't need it. Like I could mm -hmm. get people yeah. to come over e easily just by talking about my book. I didn't need the chocolate to get them in. I think yeah. part of that might be a bit of uh, when you're starting out, you're not as confident in what you're selling. You don't know it as well. If you're not as intimate with the 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 body and facial cues of of your target audience, and you know, you say something to somebody and they turn to you, you know, and sometimes I can just tell, like, oh man, yeah, yeah like they're gonna love the books. Um, and so having the chocolate as like, oh, everybody loves, you know, or candy or whatever. It's like, everybody loves this. It's an easy way to draw people in. So I would say don't have candy at your table, but yeah. maybe, maybe try it if you're just starting out and you only have a few books to sell and see if it helps. Um, yeah. and it's not, I think we use it for the first two or three years. And after that, I just stopped bringing it because we mm -hmm. just didn't yep. need it. And we had someone on our table anyway, there was no room. And for the games and signups, um, we do still do newsletter signups, but yes. it's something we we really only ask people who have just bought the book. Yeah. Um, because then it's a high quality signup, and also because um, you know, like the 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 notebook or whatever laying out on the table can take up space. So, but if you only have one book, um, like absolutely pitching to you know anybody to sign up for your newsletter. So it just depends where you are in your author journey. Because mm. when I was first starting out, I would take up any email sign up. Like it didn't matter. You could be on my on the list. Now I'm very picky about who like yeah. I 
pitch to to sign up because I don't I only want high quality signups. Like it costs me money to maintain yeah. my newsletter list. And if you're if you don't care and you're trying to read my emails, I don't want you on my list. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, so again, it just depends on where you are in your author journey. Um mm. but when you're when you've started out and you're feeling figuring out how to upgrade your game or up your game, yeah, I would definitely say distractions from your books unless there's a very strong tie-in. So if yeah. your book was about a game um, mm. or if your book was like your target audience was gamers in some way, unless there's a very strong tie-in specifically to your book, then I just wouldn't, I wouldn't mess with it. Calling all self-published authors. If you live in the United States and you've always wanted to see your books in bookstores, this may be the most important ad you'll hear in 2023. Listen carefully. No matter where you are in your publishing journey, it's not too early to position yourself to pursue brick-and-mortar bookstore distribution. But if you're a self-published author, you've probably heard, getting your books in stores is next to impossible. That's no longer the case. For just $5, you'll receive a lifetime membership to the Self-Published Author Co-op. When you join, you'll have access to a members-only community with a detailed roadmap on how to get your books ready for bookstore distribution. Joining our community does not guarantee bookstore distribution, as there's a limited availability each month to be a featured author. And that's why the cost of a lifetime membership is less than a cup of coffee. Whether you're just about to publish your first book, or you're selling thousands of copies a month, if you don't have your books in bookstores, the Self-Published Author Co-op is the easiest, most efficient way to get national distribution of your books. Click the link in the show notes to join now. We had a, a horror author that, that we knew for a long time that had a uh, a fountain that she would put red food coloring in. So it looked like blood coming out of like this statue thing and yeah. took up a, a lot of her table, like a significant amount of her table. Uh, and she couldn't put books right next to it for fear of the getting a water splashing up. <laughs> um, and she, like she did that for a, for a while and it broke one day. And I helped her reset up her table. And then she came over and thanked me for mm-hmm. like afterwards. She was like, your, your setup worked really well. I don't think I'm going to use my fountain anymore. Yeah. Um, which is the thing I've been telling her for years. Yeah. And then the, the worst I, I've ever seen is there was a, a guy who had um, a pirate themed thing. And he basically didn't have room to stand behind his booth because his entire booth was like a treasure chest. Like no, I loved not... his map. It was a hand-drawn map. It was really good. Like it was a really cool map. I it, disagree with David on that one. It, he it only was. had a couple boot. He only had a couple books though. So he had room he, for it. But he didn't have he didn't have room on his table for his books. He had he was holding his books. Oh yeah. So true, the only true. the only way that you could see his like whenever you walked up to his table, you didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. Um, and if you're if it's not obvious that you're selling things, in my opinion, you shouldn't have anything on your booth that's not for sale. Yeah. Or directly like helping you with like newsletter signups or, or helping you sell things like that, prices, like yeah. things. Um, those those are things that are needed, some artwork to get people to catch people's attention and bring them over. Like that, that's fine. But if you've got like a Plinko board or a wheel to spin, mm-hmm. um, and that's taking up more room than your books, and it's it's a large convention because obviously smaller conventions you can get away with a lot more. Yeah. Um that it's just not needed. 
you uh, so a, cu- a couple of things. I'll try to go quicker with some of these questions, but um, you do cons. Is there a size at this point uh, where you just think, you know what, it's no longer worth me being there? And can you translate that and say maybe uh, even new authors, if you have enough titles, should you spend time at the really small cons, or what? What's what's the sign that it's going to be worth your time? Really small cons can be really good for networking. Yeah. Um, there's a convention that we do called LibertyCon that is not a big con at all. Which, which one? Oh, LibertyCon? Liberty. I yeah. don't know. It's, I mean, it's a thousand people. That's that small. I guess it's small. It's a literary convention. Yeah. And it's 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 not one that we make money in at all, but it's one of our favorite conventions to do. It's one of the ones where we make the, the best connections during the year. Mm, um, okay. If it's if it, if you're just starting out, uh, small cons are great for um, like training for yeah. like just getting reps in and stuff like that. Uh, and eventually you'll realize whenever you outgrow a convention, um, just you'll, you'll know, uh, yeah. cause you'll, you'll get there and you're like, why am I here? I am wasting my time. Um, yeah. you'll, like you'll, you'll feel it. Um, but some of the small conventions are really good. Uh, whenever I'm, I'm talking to people about conventions, there's different types of conventions that we do. We do some conventions that are just for networking. Uh, like Liberty Con, we do some conventions that are just for profit, like Cincinnati and Lexington are two that we do for profit. We I don't think I've ever been out of the vendor hall at either of those conventions. Yeah. Um, like those are just ones we go to, stay in the vendor hall and do do our thing. Like, um, Lexington, because I've put out a game, and Lexington has a really good game scene. I've start I've started going to the game room there, um, which I didn't even know they had before I put out a game because we. I, literally never left um so i do that now um but if you're if you're going to a con that's really large like we're there to make money if you're going for a con that's small we're there to be seen and to see people and to make connections um as far as picking out cons um for beginners i think one of the big things to focus on is local um, you generally have a nice edge in sales and pitching um, when you it is a local event. So do look where you are. Uh, it could be local to the city or local to the state. Um, so definitely start close to home and uh, try to, you know, even if it's a small event. Generally, when I look at, a, at, a, at an event, I try to ask people who've done it before. Um, and that's a big thing that it's it's really important to network with other authors, especially on social media. Uh, we're Facebook. And in my opinion, Facebook is the superior uh, social media platform for networking specifically, because it's very easy to make connections with the friending. And it's very easy to speak to people with the Facebook Messenger. Um, and so networking with people on Facebook gives you a resource to be to to ask other authors hey what have yeah. you done have you been here before do you know anything about it um and meeting authors that are local to your area are is very helpful because then they they're a resource to you so picking cons ask other people ask if anybody has been there ask what how their experience was you know if one person says it was horrible maybe ask find someone else who's gone uh, yeah. uh because it could just be that maybe they're bad at selling books you know yeah. no offense but maybe yeah. they they just you know, they hate pitching and they just sit behind their booth and stay quiet all day or something like that. Um, like so guy, try to get a variety of opinions. The guy next to us, the guy next yeah. to us at, uh, at Cincinnati would have said that was a horrible convention, but yep. we would have said it was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is um, go look at the convention's website and on their Facebook page. Do they have a lot of followers? Do they look mm. like they're posting regularly? Do they look like they have a professional looking website that is easy to navigate and that feels, um, you know, compelling? 
um, because the quality of the event will often be reflected in the website and their Facebook page. Um, another thing is ask other authors, what images do you go to that, that are big sellers for you? And make sure that you remember that your genre and if, if your genre is different from their genre, then you know, cons that are good for them might not be the best for you. I have tons of people telling me all the time that we need to go to Scarefest. And I'm like, no, no, yeah. I have no interest in going to Scarefest. And they're like, no, yeah. but like there's fantasy novels and, you know, there's all kinds of like, no, I don't want to go to Scarefest. Um, yeah. I'm not a fan of horror. I'm not a fan of the Halloween season. It's just not my thing. And well, so even though I probably in your is, book, though. You have lots of demons I know, in your book. <laughs> I know, but they're not like, yeah, we, we don't need to waste time <laughs> talking about that. <laughs> I, know. Yes, I was, I was just being book. silly. Yeah, yeah. I know. You're, you're joking with me. Um, but I, that's probably a very good con to go to, but not for me. And yeah. so you also need to be aware of the audience at the convention. And you can find out more about that by going to the websites, going to Facebook pages yeah. and finding people who have done the event before. Um, in terms of calculating book sales, generally you will sell to one to 2% of the people who walk through the door. Okay. So, uh, and, and that's just average for smaller cons. That's going to be higher, especially weekend cons. So if it's a weekend convention, where it's it's like a small one 500 600 people and it's like a big like family atmosphere people are there all weekend and so you're probably going to sell to a much larger percentage of people um for a small con for big cons where people are generally just coming a day to come a day like cincinnati comic expo you know dragon con uh indianapolis uh you know gen con like all those big cons um you know sometimes they might be there for the weekend but you're probably only going to see people once and so generally it's about one to two percent of people who walk in the door so for big cons to decide you know, in like the the fifteen to thirty thousand attendee range, um, to decide if the distance that we drive and the cost of the booth is worth our time, I'll look at the attendance. And and usually you can do that by googling. Usually for past years, there'll be some sort of news report or some sort of estimate of you know this con which Perfect. has this many attendees you know per year, and you can kind of guesstimate. Um, and so uh, that's a way to get a ballpark idea if a con is worth your time. Um, mm -hmm. is is just kind of compare that, you know, one to two percent sales, uh, you know, say if it's 10,000 people come through the gate, one percent. Yeah. Okay. Is it one percent for cons that big? It, get, it gets smaller percentage the more people there are, if that makes sure. any sense. Yeah, because you can only pitch to so many people. Mm -hmm. um, so your miles may vary. But, but that's something that I have used in the past to determine, um, you know, it, whether or yeah. not it's worth it. For me, yeah, we don't normally do cons in like the like under ten thousand people now, unless okay. it is a literary con that we're going to specifically for fans and networking. Yeah. Liberty Con that David mentioned, Bain Books is there, and um, I wanted to be published by Bain Books. I've always wanted to be a hybrid author. That means indie published yep. and trad publishing for networking purposes to get my foot in the door of. Um, things that I wouldn't be able to if I was just an indie author. So right. I've always wanted to make connections with Bain and Bain Books has a big presence at Liberty Con. So that's why I originally went to Liberty Con. It's a great networking con. And honestly, we do sell. We we sell enough to make a little bit profit um, when we go there just because it is a very vibrant con. It is very well attended and the people yeah. there are super enthusiastic about books and they and they buy a lot of books. Another one that we do sometimes is Fantasy, which is also Bain adjacent um, and, and we do it not for profit. We probably won't make any profit. We may break mm -hmm. even, we're probably not gonna make any profit, but we're going for the networking purposes and to see and be seen, which is something I always talk about at cons. Um, I'm, I'm there at panels beside, you know, New York Times bestselling authors that have been doing this for 30 years that have, you know, 80 books out. And so yeah. that, 
that is worth time. That is worth going to cons. Um, another one we go to or have in the past, we haven't recently because of schedule conflicts, was Conjuration in Atlanta, Georgia, which is a Harry Potter themed convention. Oh, cool. Okay. Love it. Amazing convention. If you have any book that is in any way adjacent like fan base to Harry Potter, you will love it. It is a ton of fun. Yeah. And again, it's not, a, it's maybe, maybe a thousand people, oh, wow. you know, okay. if we're lucky. Um, and so, but we break even, we usually make a little bit of a profit and it was just fun. You yeah. know, and and we got to know the con organizers, and so you have to you have to balance um, networking with profit. We do Absolutely. the little cons for networking. We do the big cons for profit. That partly answers one of the next questions I had for you. Um, it's one that's of particular interest to me because there's a part of me that figures I'm just going to uh, pack up enough for for three weeks and hit every single con I can in a, a fifty thousand mile radius. Um, how far out do you go? And uh, is it is it really dictated by profit or like because Dragon Con is quite away from you, isn't it? And would you go to something like that? Uh, David, tell about Wizard World down in New Orleans that we did that one year. Mm, the the honest opinion. Um, yeah, so yeah, I don't. I think it's defunct. I don't think that that con is even going anymore. So we went to a, a convention called Wizard World, which is by far the furthest we've gone for a convention it's down in New Orleans. Yeah, uh, and we're very far away from that in Kentucky. Uh, we, we went there because Lydia's sister was living there at the time and we were like, we'll, we'll see her. It'll be great. We'll, we'll yeah. go to New Orleans. I walk into the convention and there's literally water pouring from the ceiling onto this dude's booth. Oh, like, like that was, that's weird. The, I don't remember that. I don't think it was pouring. I think it was dripping. It was, it was pouring. Um, <laughs> something, there was a leak in the roof, something had busted and it was just like going on to this booth and the dude was standing there. He had no idea what to do. Luckily, he sold metal art, like he sold art printed on metal sheets. So none of his stuff was was messed up. Uh, and I, I like, for, like I haven't even set up our booth yet. I grabbed this guy, and I'm like, "All right, we're moving, the, we're moving your booth. We're yeah. we're putting you." And there was like a like an empty space somewhere, and I just like drug his stuff over there <laughs> with with him helping, um, which put him right in front of us. And the reason that I was doing that was because the huge distance between our booth and like like we were in like a, a walkway yeah. and oh. there was this massive distance so people weren't stop weren't going to stop at yeah. all there was no no choke point they were going to get in the center of the aisle they were going to be 20 Movement. feet away yeah and i wasn't going to be able to pitch to anybody so i i helped him set up a booth uh right across from us making a choke point blocking traffic in so so that we could sell um things and security came over and we're like no you can't do that i'm like man you guys this Water was pouring from the ceiling into this guy's thing. I took pictures on my phone. I've sent them to this guy. Like he could probably sue. I don't know if he could sue, but like it didn't matter. I, he, you know, I, I told <laughs> yeah. that the security Jeez. guy. And the security guy was like, "Okay, yeah, you're fine." Just yeah. don't. well, so the that con we also had a problem with a lot of people saying that they didn't read in in New Orleans, yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was a joke because we had heard that like a lot and then the dude next to us uh, who was selling like art of some kind was like hey new orleans has the largest illiteracy rate in the u.s those people are probably being serious because they were people were getting mad when i was like oh it's funny they were like getting mad at me and, <laughs> yeah uh, you're laughing and they're like <laughs> <laughs> yeah that guy pulled me aside and, but, but it was just it was a terrible convention well and so the announcer was shouting over the microphone at all times like there was a uh, a wrestling match happening in the vendor hall like oh, they, wow. they had a wrestling ring set up and I walked, I was I walking around. I think that was Supercon in Louisville, David, that you're talking about the wrestling match. That was no, Supercon. 
no liberty uh, liberty kind of wow um was was wizard fun. world had wizard a world, thing like yeah. that going on too oh you're right um, they did and, they, they did we weren't super close but the announcer was, yeah. was really loud so to, to circle back though real quick to distance <laughs> and how far you should go yeah. um is that any con that you have researched and seems like a good bet and that you can find specifically in, in my opinion you have a friend living in that city that you can crash with is yeah. worth trying once yeah, I wouldn't fly personally, because if you fly, you have to ship books and that's just expensive and it's a hassle yeah. and you can't sell as many. If you have one book that might work, that might be fine. Sure. But we have 14 titles that we sell. And so we yeah. can't do that. So um, our our circle is kind of one day, like a one day's drive around us, unless um, uh, for the first for the first five years or so, um, we didn't buy a single hotel. Never. Yeah. Um, I went so far as to join a website called couchsurfing.com to, yeah. if we didn't know someone in the city, we would find someone to couch surf on. Cause it was just us two. Um, we were yeah. younger. We were, you know, totally. I hadn't gone through three pregnancies at that point. You know, we, we could, we could rough it a little bit more and we slept on couches and floors and um, met some fun people. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, if you're just, just starting out and cost is an issue, do not ever get a hotel room, find a friend, or if there is no friend couch surf. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we, that worked really well for us for a while. And so now I do still try to stay with friends. If we have a friend, if we don't, I'm okay paying for the hotel because we are at a point in our business where we can afford that. So, um, it just, it depends on, um, your family situation. Yeah. We don't do further than a day away because we have kids to get back to and we have to pay for yep. childcare. Um, you know, not for, they stay with our parents, stay with our kids stay with our parents, but our parents are elderly and need help with childcare. So we still have to pay for childcare while sure. we're gone. And so we can't take two days to travel back and forth to things mm -hmm. and be paying not only for travel and food and, and hotel costs, but also childcare during those days. So right. that's why ours is kind of a day. When our kids are like grown high school, out to college, you know, there will be points in my career where I, I dream of flying to the West Coast. Or I dream of taking two day trips out to Colorado and or up to Maine or whatever, but that's not where we are in our career right now. So generally I would recommend looking at stuff that's within a day's drive, which Atlanta is, you mentioned Dragon Con. Um, and oh, right. honestly, okay. we prefer things that are within four to five hours drive because then we can drive there Friday morning mm -hmm. and then usually cons start around two or so Friday afternoon, most weekend cons. And so we can, we're not taking up Thursday. So if I can reach it by leaving early Friday morning, um, and then I can get home Sunday night after the con ends, even if it's really late, then that's a con that's within our reach. If it's a yeah. con where we have to take extra days outside of that to travel, then there has to be a really compelling reason to go, which Dragon Con has a really compelling reason. Dragon Con is one of the biggest con, is the biggest yes. con on the East Coast. Yep. Um, there's the only bigger ones are out in California and it is very, it's, it's very useful for networking reasons because being there as a pro is kind of an elevated thing. Like, Oh man, I'm a pro at dragon Con. Like it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and it's 60,000 people attending. And so we haven't even sold at dragon con. We've never gotten a booth at dragon con. That would be okay. crazy. Like trying to yeah. manage that. And I'm not saying don't get a booth at dragon con. Absolutely do. But it's a madhouse. Like it is, yeah. it is huge and complex and there's tons of people and it's just, you really got to be ready for it. I would not recommend a booth at Dragon Con for beginners. And booths cost like two thousand dollars. That's what I was going to say. Con. I mean, they're that, insanely that expensive. In. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, um, Katie Katie Cross has done a booth at Dragon Con, so you might talk to her if you want any okay. details about doing a booth at Dragon Con. Um, 
And so, uh, but just for networking, it's absolutely worth it for networking, especially now that we're published with Bain books because Bain mm-hmm. has its own con suite and its own like little enclave of, you know, you're in the club, in the Bain club. So, you know, that factor matters because it's course, elevating yeah. our position as professionals within our professional peers. And when publishing opportunities come up, people will remember you. Oh, yeah. that person that I met at DragonCon, they were lots of fun to hang out with. And she writes X, Y, and Z, and she's published with Bain. Well, maybe she'll be interested in this opportunity. That's mostly for like anthologies. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm published in three or four different anthologies that I never once looked for. People just came to me and, and this, these are Bain yeah. anthologies. And they right. were like, hey, we need an extra person for this anthology. You know, will you write for it? I'm like, yeah, sure. So, I mean, that's not a, a huge thing, but it's something for sure. Mm-hmm. Um so it depends on the opportunities, and I generally recommend within a day's drive. Yeah, perfect. There's so for small stuff, for, for small stuff, I don't do further out than than right. I can drive in maybe two or three hours for small stuff. Right. It's just not worth my time. Starting out, we would we would drive an entire day. Like we went to a little street book festival in Chattanooga uh, mm-hmm. one time. We drove four or five hours to get there, and it was so pathetic. You know. Oh no sweethearts i think it was a library organizing it like you know they're wonderful people like i have nothing yeah. against the people organizing it but it was tiny and yeah. there was nobody there we sold maybe two books after Ugh. driving five hours like it was awful most so of, i kind of learned my lesson there most of the people had never been never done anything like that before they had like yeah. they brought up their coffee tables and they artistically stacked their books and they didn't have a tent yeah. So they got real sunburn. Yeah. Or, and then there was yeah. the people and then there was the people who were indie published and had a bunch of books, but totally did not know how to indie publish professionally and didn't yeah. know how to pitch professionally mm-hmm. and were just well, the guy there that said that he, he never edited his books. He would just write it and then he would hand it to his, this girl who was madly in love with him. He didn't realize it. And she was his editor and oh, would no. do literally everything else. And uh, he would, anytime she did something, she was a character in his books. And anytime that she did anything wrong, he would threaten to kill her character and she would get upset. Okay. Okay. Okay, David. Okay. <laughs> no, hey, you know what? They don't, we, we're not, we're not mentioning names. These are all great stories. Oh, I don't remember who it was. I, <laughs> no, I, I, I saw his books again. I wouldn't remember who it was anyway, but that's just an example. Small yeah. events, you know, probably not like small library organized events. Uh, probably not worth your time if it's yeah. not local or within an hour or two, um, an hour or two drive. So uh, okay, so in, we're we're up against an hour. I know you have places to be, things to do. Uh, two questions: one, what is the line between? Uh, I'll call them knickknacks, but I'll include things like your tote bags, your coffee mugs, and things like that. What's the line between purchasable supplemental items or knickknacks um, and books? do you have one? Do you think like, it's just not worth selling these things because they don't build loyal fans. They're only for loyal fans. Do you get where I'm going with this? I'm yeah. looking for wisdom. on um, it. So my opinion on it, people, whenever they come up to me and go, Hey, I'd like to sell t-shirts. I've got these grand ideas, these grand designs on t-shirts. T-shirts yeah. don't sell. Yeah. Uh, unless your booth is selling unless just t-shirt t-shirts. Booth. Yeah. You're, you're not going to sell t-shirts. You're not going to sell mouse pads. You're can sell anything like that. And you may sell one or two at a convention, and then that's like a big deal if you sell one or two of these yeah. critical things. But you sell them to your super fans. Yeah. So that person that buys that t shirt, that that person right there has already bought a whole lot of stuff from you. And yeah. it is is a super fan and they're gonna be super excited and gonna come back wearing your t shirt. Um so they're they're good to have, but you're not gonna make money on them. Well so something to think about is 
Um, the revolution of the auto industry was the creation of assembly lines. Assembly line is you do one thing over and over again all day long and you're really good at it. Yeah. That you need to remember that with selling anything. When you specialize in general, it obviously doesn't apply to everything, but in general, when you specialize, you do better because you're putting more time and effort into that one thing. So that's part of my philosophy in terms of like writing in a genre. I don't, I, I do write in two different genres now. I've got science fiction and fantasy, but that's because my fantasy is indie published and my science fiction is traditionally published. Um, and so that's a separation of of publishing channels and marketing that works for me. Um, I find, or I have found in general, authors who are scattershot and have books all over the place and all these different genres, they do not do well. And it's because you are not focusing your efforts. And yeah. so think of it this way. Um, are you doing the merchandise? If you're, if you're selling merchandise because you feel like you're books don't sell enough and you're trying to supplement your income, mm. then there's a problem yep. because the problem is your books. Are you an author or not? Are you an author or are you a knickknack seller? You know, yeah. if you're an author, you should be making money selling your books. And if you're not making money selling your books, then you need to figure out why it might be your covers. It might be your pitch and how you are approaching people. It might be what you, how you have your display arranged. It might be your at bad cons. It might be, um, you need a different banner. I, I mean, and all these things work together. Obviously it's not just gonna be one thing, but if you're not, if you're not making money selling books, try to figure out why that is and yeah. sell more books instead of trying to fill the gap with merchandise. Because if you're not selling books, why do you think you're gonna sell merchandise? You know? Right. And if you are selling books, then write more books and sell yeah. more books. Yeah. So the merchandise thing, I feel like it's 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 deceptively shiny because it's like, oh, like I could do merchandise and all these people will buy it. I'm like, mm, not really. Because yeah. the people the people they're buying merchandise from are the merchandise sellers. Like yeah. those big cons and stuff. If people want tote bags, if people want t-shirts, they're not getting them from you. They're getting them from the t-shirt booths or the tote bag booths. Yeah. Um, and so you need to focus on what is your specialty and that is books. The exception would be, I'd say there's two exceptions. One, you've been doing this a long time. You have a lot of books and you have super fans. Um, I mean, Jody, you, you, you know, um, just from doing our booth, like I didn't have a, t I, I didn't have a ton of super fans come by. I certainly yeah. had some, but it's maybe a handful or two, uh, like a yeah. handful a day, you know, yeah. it wasn't most of the people, but I had a couple mugs. I had a couple t-shirts. I had those tote bags mm -hmm. and they were, some of them were bought by my super fans. Tote bags are, are, were really good for books. I, yeah. I always sell out on tote bags. I usually buy 20 for a big con and I'm usually out by the end of the weekend. Yeah. Um, and I sell those, I make a couple dollars profit on those. I think, I, I think they cost me around 15 or $16 in, in, cost to get them and I sell them for 20 if people mm -hmm. also buy books. So I use them as a way to help sell books. And then I make a couple of those profit off of it. And it's a fan thing because then they wear it around and it has my big logo on it and it's marketing. Yeah. Um, and so that might be an exception. I have a friend, uh, Cassandra, who um, did cheap tote bags. Uh, like the, the not, they're not plastic. They're not like super flimsy but they're like those little cloth tote bags that you can get printed with your logo on it. And they cost, you know, maybe a couple dollars per tote bag. And yeah. so inexpensive. She, hmm? Inexpensive. Not yeah. Cheap. So very inexpensive tote bags. They're, they're, yeah. They're like the things that you get for free at the business bureau fair or whatever. Um, 
And so uh, she got those with her logo and her book cover or whatever on it. And she would say, hey, if you buy this book set, you get a tote bag for free to carry it in. That's very good marketing right there. And actually, I need to do that. I just haven't gone around to ordering those yet. But that's a very good idea that I I would do myself because people love getting book lovers, love getting tote bags, and they love getting free stuff. So if if it is a small ticket merchandise item that you can put your logo on and that is a marketing in and you can give it away free to encourage larger purchases then yes 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 and yes so that's what my cat snark pins do do you remember those jody yes um the the pins we call them buttons um that have quote snarky cat quotes from the book series and if people buy sets they get free cat pins and i also do sell them individually but very few people buy them so the only reason you really need merchandise is either you're big and you actually have super fans who come by and yeah. even then you only are going to have a little bit. It's going to be a very small part of your table or it is a marketing opportunity and you're offering it for free with purchase. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's just distracting. It's visually distracting and it's distracting you and it's dividing your efforts. Um, one thing to mention that you learned, Joey, is that I have we have one pitch, one book that we start yes. with, one one in. Right. And we focus on that. Yeah. And that sells very well. And then there's read through to all the other books. The only exception is if I pitched the book and they said, oh, I don't like to read urban fantasy. Then I might say, oh, well, what do you like to read? I also have some science fiction. You like science fiction. But other than yeah. that, like I'm not I'm not like just going back and forth. I'll pitch my science fiction. And I'll do my urban. No, my urban fantasy has four times as many titles. It is way more of a bestseller. It has, you know, very bright colors and cats sell stuff like crack okay like yeah. if you have a cat in a book like it's it's gonna help sell it so yeah. um it, it's got, just it's um, a matter of focus magical adventures with uh, snarky humor and a talking cat is is the pitch and yeah. and so i'm i'm curious well for one i want to call you out publicly right now because there's no talking cat in the first book there's only a talking cat <laughs> but i don't onward. say but i don't say Hey, buy book one beginnings with a talking cat. I said, do yes, you like to read Magical Adventures with Talking Cats? And there is yes, a talking right. cat in this Magical Adventure. Absolutely, there is. I just, I just uh, again, we, giving you grief. That's why I do, we do the two for 20. We, we use that as, yeah, we use that as <laughs> yes. a, a reason to buy the second book. Yes, to, to meet the talking cat. I really enjoy uh, the the... The, that character. I think that he adds a layer of depth and humor. And Sir it, it, Edgar Allan Kipling, yes. Magical Talking Cat extraordinaire. Here yes, we go. Sir Kipling. And what he does, I think that really helps the books. Uh, I think they gain strength from the second one forward is he takes a little bit of the humor off of Sebastian and allows Sebastian to develop a little bit more depth. He doesn't have to be the funny guy anymore, like the one-liner yeah. guy. It's a really, really ingenious way that you you we're able to develop Sebastian more through totally Sir not Kipling. on purpose at all. I, I understand. It just Everything, organically, organically yeah. happened that way. Yeah. And it's great though. I, I think that happens a lot to us as writers is that we accidentally stumble into the things we need to fix uh, problems that maybe we have early in a series. So the last question really is, and it was that, so we've already kind of touched on the pitch. Um, I, I, this is such a an individual thing, finding your pitch. What would you say to authors who are about to start a con? What would you say to me about my pitch going to my first event? Uh, it, it, it's clear you want it to be short. Um, you want it to highlight uh, something that goes throughout the series or is, is thematic. But when do you know, ah, that's a good pitch that's going to work, other than testing, which is obviously going to have to happen? Davis is going to answer this question right after I say a about merchandise, just circling back real quick. Yeah. Website. It is a completely different thing putting merchandise on your website in the sense that um, if you have good 
good artwork to put on merchandise, absolutely set up some merchandise for sale on your website. You probably won't sell very much, but it's worth it because it's not taking up just the time right. that it took to set it up once. And then you'll make a little bit of a margin. And also it makes your website look more, a little bit more impressive having that merchandise available alongside the books. So it's yeah. a completely different story when talking about the website. Um, I, I would say uh, if you're already doing art and getting artwork done for the series, there's it, actually, you'd be leaving money on the table by not utilizing that artwork to also make merchandise. So David, please answer the sure. question now. Right. So I work with a lot of people on their sales pitch. The, I usually ask them to give me their sales pitch and then critique from there. But the thing that you're looking for is you want to uh, give the, per the person a connection, uh, the person you're pitching to a connection to your books. Uh, and you're going to want to make sure that every time you ask them a question in which you want to ask many, uh, you, the answer is yes. Like the obvious answer is yes. Or the the person you're pitching to makes a connection. It's a very obvious. It, it has to be very obvious for everyone to get it but it doesn't matter people are like oh i'm a smart individual because i have figured out this connection um we start out with uh trying to pick, pull them into your booth so the first thing is whenever they roughly look generally in your direction you go hey do you like to read and they'll say yes if they say no then they're not your customer and let them keep going i uh, say do you like to read snarky humor magical adventures with a talking cat and if they say yes then they're, they're your customer uh if they say no then they're not your customer and you say can i can I uh, tell you about a book? And then you hand them a copy of your book that gets them to come over. There's now a transaction that is happening. Uh, you were telling them about the book and they're getting to hold the book. Um, or you can get them to just read the back. If they don't look like they're super interested and you have somebody else that you want to pitch, that's a good way to like give them a transactional experience there and get the, the next person pitched to. Uh, but then we, we go into our pitch. And our pitch uh, explains what what the story is about, who the story is about, and a little bit of the stakes. Uh, and you want to lead the person in and leave leave off on a a question or a um, a really good example of what I'm talking about about leading them to come to conclusions is uh, David Joel Stevens' first book, uh, where the surf the surface is in. Um, it's about a kid who lives in colonial times, and there's this. Uh, area that nobody goes into, they call it the Deathlands, but he's responsible for uh, the family's food. So he shoots a deer and the deer runs off into the, the Deathlands. So what does he do is the question. And then everybody's response is he goes after it. Obviously, he goes after it. Uh, if you can work something like that into your pitch, it's it's great. It's really good at selling things. But you always want to be positive. You always want to name characters. So David Joel Stevens is an example of a character's name is Jonah. And every time that, that something happens, he says, Jonah is responsible for food. Jonah shoots a deer. The deer then runs after it. So what does Jonah do? <clears throat> uh, with ours, it's, um, you know, it's based on our, our book series. Uh, we introduce the characters. So you have Lily is a modern day wizard living in Atlanta. Uh, Sebastian is the near do well witch. They go off on adventures. Um, and we're, we're telling the, bare minimum that you need to know to get interested in the story, but we're making it real to the people by giving them the characters' names and what they do and what their motivations. Well, yeah. one thing that I stick in is uh, I'll say something like, and Sebastian is, uh, you know, Lily's near to well friend who thinks rules are just sort of guidelines. You don't know anybody like that in your life, do you? 
And I'll ask them that question. And usually they smile and giggle and they might nudge each other and be like, yeah, that's you, you know? And so that's connecting them personally to the storyline, connecting them to the characters so they feel camaraderie with the characters. Or, you know, I might say, um, you know, Lily is an introverted, uh, you know, book loving person who just wants to drink her tea, read her books, pet her cat, and be left alone. Like, I'm sure you I'm sure you can empathize with that, especially if I'm talking to like a woman, um, especially if, you know, because you can kind of gauge a little bit who, you know, the person that you're talking to. And so that's stuff that you can kind of put in there to draw the readers into the characters. Um, one thing to clarify um because Jody, you mentioned magical adventure, snarky humor and talking cat. And then David was talking about like a larger pitch. Yeah. I, I like to call them um, your, your hook pitch and, and the book, and the book pitch. Those aren't like titles. Those are just sure. words I came up with to help describe them. There's your short pitch and your long pitch. Yeah. There's your, you have three seconds to five seconds to catch this person's attention. And there's the, you now have their attention and now you're selling them the idea of the book. Those yeah. are two completely different things. And so um, it's important to come up with both, in my opinion, because you need a very short, quick, succinct way to describe, you know, like, hey, oh, you're a writer. What do you write about? Well, launching into a, you know, 30 to 40 seconds description of the first book, like their eyes are going to glaze over. But you say, oh, I write about magical adventure, snarky humor, and a talking cat. They're like, yeah. oh, well, that sounds like fun. And then now you've, they've kind of given you permission to tell them about your book. And yeah. so you need to have both. Um, David was talking about the long pitch for a short pitch um, for kind of like that thematic, like you were talking about, like that thematic description of what you do. Um, I recommend three things because three is a magic number for the human brain. I don't know why. Ask a psychologist. They could tell you. Um, but the brain, human brain loves three things. Um, two feels like not enough and four is too much to remember. Um, and so you need three things and they need to be the three things that if you have been selling or, or writing books for a little while and you have some feedback about your books and you know what your readers love most about your books, they need to relate to those things. If you're brand new and you have no idea what readers love most about your books, then you need to think about what things are most marketable, what things are the most like hooky grabby and what's that original thing that is like your specialty for your book series. Um, so for me, Magical Adventures, Snarky Humor, and Talking Cat, none of those are like totally unique. Obviously, there's other Talking Cats, other stories. There's also the Snarky Humor. But that particular mix of them is pretty unique. Um, and so they they are the things that my readers love about my books, um, especially the Snarky Humor and Talking Cat. I yeah. say Magical Adventure because it gives an, a very broad idea of the genre. Um, and so that way people are like magical adventure. Okay. This is probably urban fantasy, snarky humor. Okay. I like humor. Or maybe they're like, Oh no, I, I'm a horror person. I'm not interested in that. And then talking yeah. cat is like the final nail in the coffin. Like, Oh, talking cat, you know? So uh, Jody, did you, did you end up coming up with like a three thing pitch after you worked with us or have you decided on something? I've been I've been toying with one. And so it's the the interesting thing is for me, magical is actually the one that I always am kind of right on the the uh, blades edge of. So I think magical mysteries actually probably will be my lead in because I, yeah. I need people to know from going in like there's magic here. Uh, it, yeah. it just has created a much better reading experience uh, for my readers when they know going in that there's magic and that doesn't surprise them. Um, also, humor is a really big deal for me, which I, I, I am stealing from you, but I'm trying to appropriate. The correct way. So, 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 so the, the thing about book marketing is that everybody honestly should steal from everybody because yeah. it's not the marketing isn't the unique uh, creative IP 
It's yeah. just the how to connect with readers. And the way you connect with readers is a is a common thread through all human psychology and human experience. And yep. so it's not like you can say, oh, well, that's how I pitch my books. How dare yeah. you pitch like that too, you know? Well, so unless it, you're saying that unless you're saying that you write books exactly like the Lily Singer yeah, adventures, exactly. I might, I might, I might come at you if you say that, but no, yes. please I, steal all yeah. I want. Yeah. And so, and then the last thing, and I'm not exactly sure if I want to use this term or not, but I want people to know that there's violence. And so I've been trying to think about like a way that um, other than one moment of violence in all of the book series, there's nothing that goes graphic. So I wanted to choose something like abundant violence or something along those lines where people do know that there is violence, but I I want, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say you're so Yes, it's good for readers to have a good idea of what are, they're getting into going. Because you don't want disappointed readers who are like, oh, this is way different than what I expected. Yeah. So, But personally, I would say the feedback I would give on that yeah. is that that aspect of your books should be um, clarified and made more clear by the book cover and the sure. book description on the back. Your pitch, in my opinion, needs to be those the, the short pitch needs mm-hmm. to be the three hooks. So unless you think that your target audience specifically loves your books because they love the violence mm. in a way, in like a, oh, this grand adventure, like pulse pounding, right. heart stopping action yeah. kind of way, then no, do not put it in that right. pitch. Because yeah. what you're doing is you're saying, buy my book, buy my book. No, don't buy my book. That's a good point. Yeah, that's what that is. That. That's three, yeah. That's like, buy my book, but don't buy my book. So that one line pitch is not the place to give uh, disclaimers. That's not, the, that's not where you put those disclaimers. One of the things Lydia was hitting on, but I don't know if she actually realizes it or not, is in marketing, there's two two marketing rules called the rule of three and the rule of seven. Uh, the rule of three is whenever you're trying to get somebody interested in your, uh, your product or your thing, list three positive things about it. So you want them to say yes three times before you gotcha. actually get into your pitch. Um, and it's anytime that like you're putting accolades on the back of a book or um, or anything like that, you want to use the rule of three. You want to give three positive things. Uh, that's mm. why you always see on billboards and things when you're going down the road, three positive things about something whenever they're telling things about a, a yeah. product. Uh, and then the rule of seven is it takes seven touches or seven seven interactions with a product where somebody will buy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first three still count towards the seven. The first three is to get them interested in then seven gets them to actually buy. And the seven so, could be you talking with, to them, you yep. making eye contact, you handing them the book to read yep. the back, mm-hmm. et cetera. So yeah. there's, it's, it's the, the first question, getting their attention, asking the first questions. Hey, do you like to read? That's one. Uh, do you like magical adventure, snarky humor, talking cat? That's the rule of three. And that is uh, our second touch. And then can I tell you about a book? That's the third touch. And then you hand them the book. That's four. Then you tell them about the book. That's five. And then you interact with them uh, a few, like tell them to turn the book over, things like that. Sure. Uh, gets a couple more touches in there and then asking them if they want to buy the book that is seven. Yeah. So um, that's the psychology of selling things in person. Uh, and it's once you understand that, they're like, well, looking up and reading, researching the marketing, the psychology of marketing. Yeah. Do a great, great deal for in person sales. Uh, it's not, not required at all because sure. generally, people end up stumbling on these things without realizing what they're stumbling onto. Cause Lydia had already had um, the three things pitch down before I started uh, coming on board and doing more things with it. And I have a marketing background. 
Yeah. Um, so it was it, it was amusing to me going, hey, you know what you're doing? You're doing this marketing thing that I went to school to learn about. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, okay, so we are at an hour and 24 minutes. I've taken more time from you guys by uh, quite a bit than I meant to. But we're extra. We're, we're you, a lot. You are. So you are extra. You are a lot. You are. Uh, I will admit, I mean, for one, and everybody knows this, that I, I know showed you for good reasons, but still in the worst possible way. The first time, I think that was for Lexington. Um, you still let me uh, come out and work with you. And my first encounter with you is like, I am at a totally different speed than you. And it took me a little bit to calibrate and be like, I thought my first impression was that you were angry with me. And so you weren't going to open your hearts to me because you were, you were very intense. And I was like, Oh man, I'm going to have to really prove myself. And I don't even know how to do it. It became so obvious so quickly that you love to teach and you love to show what you've learned and help people. Um, and everybody around you had so much enthusiasm. If we talked longer, I would talk about how you refocused my mind on the value of books because you, you sold um, hundreds of dollars of merchandise to single people. And I didn't think that was possible for authors. Like I had a limiting belief based on that, that I unlearned or at least started to unlearn in Cincinnati. Oh, good so, for you, Jody. Here, yeah, I'm patting was... you on the head over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was fantastic. And I really appreciate your time. Uh, people want to find your books. Uh, David's been on before, so I think he's given them that information, but remind listeners where they can find you, how they can connect with you. Love lies and hocus pocus.com. Um, I mean, also just my name, Lydia Sheridan. Com. So uh, uh, those are the two main places. I mean, if they want to go direct toward buying things, then store.lydiashara.com um, uh, takes you directly to um, our, our store, but there's a link to it on lydiashara.com. Um, and then love lies and hocus pocus.com just takes you to the, the page about the series and there's, and there's links from there, but yeah, just uh, Googling my name or the, if you even Googled, I don't know, if you Googled snarky talking cat, it probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be in the top search. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. We got to try. It. Yeah. We got to try. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much both for your time. Thank you for having us, Jody. We love, yeah. we love being able to help authors understand um, the people side of selling books, as opposed to just the writing side or yeah. the people side of being an author, as opposed to just the writing side of being an author, because I'm sure you would agree that most authors write not just because they want to actually do the act of writing, but because they want to bring joy to readers. They want people yeah. to read their stories. They want people to be um, filled up with entertainment and joy and excitement by their books. And so mm -hmm. you can't just be an expert at writing um, to be a, to, to really take your author career to the next level. You yeah. also have to care about and want to invest in and understand people and hmm. why they read and why they like your books and and how you can connect to your readers as an author um and I, some authors may not want to do that and that's fine yeah. um everybody has different goals for their author career from hobby to pro but in terms of doing what we do um all self-made indie you know where we're kind of we're steering the boat and we're the engine behind everything. You really have to connect deeply with your audience and with your, your fans and your readers in order to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you've done a fantastic job. So thank you very much. And you will too, Jody. You're oh, just thanks. starting. You're just yeah. a baby author on this journey. <laughs> I know it's going to be crazy. Well, we'll see how, how it goes. I'll, I'll let you know for sure. So you are on the first page in Google Snarky Talking Cat. Right really? After, That's <laughs> right, right after the related searches, there's an Etsy thing, which is a lot of pictures of Edmund Nurse. You're up there next. 
Nice. Wow. Nice. So Google Snarky Talking Cat. You'll find me. SEO. There you go. Well done. There we go. SEO. All right. Well, thanks so much, Jody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?